This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Housewives Archives, a podcast where we discuss in great depth all things Real Housewives. My name is James Evans, and I may be the head of this podcast, but she is the neck. She can turn me any which way she wants. It's my co-host, Ellie Nunn. Tell you what I am today, James. I'm the feet. (laughs) The workhorse of the body, famously. Do you want to know why I'm the feet? Tell me. (laughs) So my lovely friend Martha turned up to rehearsals two days ago, and I did a bit of a double take, and I was like, Martha, you're never that tanned, naturally. And she was like, shh, I may have gone on a trip to the Isle of Paradise last night. Which is a oh, a self-tanning brand. Oh, I see. And okay. that's definitely not in the British Isles, the Isle of Paradise. That's taking the piss. <laughs> it's near Bimini. Uh, right. <laughs> and I was like, it looks incredible. And she was like, join me, the water's warm. And so off I trot <laughs> to Boots, but I'm at a Isle yeah. of Paradise spray. And uh, yesterday, yeah. spritzed all over. And uh, I've woken up this morning, gorgeous, gorgeous, glowy tan, except when I sprayed, all of the excess spray must have just floated down and landed on my feet. (laughs) And let me tell you, James, Mm. my feet look like I have gangrene. What? Or some kind of awful skin condition. They're just like mottled dark brown, like I've got... Oh. No, they're not green. Let's see. I don't... Gangrene's not green, is it? Lift up your feet to the camera. Come on. Don't be shy. No, you won't be able to... I mean, I can try. I don't think you'll be able to see. Hang on. Especially because the light... Mm. I don't... (laughs) I mean, this is... I can't see. (laughs) (laughs) That was definitely worth it. I got a good overview. (laughs) I'll send you a photo. In fact, I'm going to send you a photo now for you to have a live reaction. It's for the best because I won't be able to get on with the rest of the podcast otherwise. No, you need to know. It's like with Sutton. I'm thinking the worst right now. (laughs) I was about to send it to my company manager. (laughs) (laughs) Like what you see? (laughs) Okay. Have a look. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Zoom in on that bad boy. They're a bit like mummified. It looks mummified. That's it. Less gangrene and more mummified. (laughs) It's the way it's settled in like... (laughs) Very well preserved. (laughs) (laughs) It's the way it's settled between my toes. (laughs) They're like old lady feet. Oh my God, James. Or if these feet could talk. They'd scream. Help me. (laughs) Been through a couple of world wars. (laughs) It looks like I've got trench foot. <laughs> Stick that in black and white and I'd believe that it was oh, an example completely. picture for a GCSE history exam. So I'm glad it's gone well. Do you recommend the experience? Because I need to, I'm thinking of getting a fake tan for the very first time. I would go to a professional. All right, okay. <laughs> I might go in London actually, because I've got to, in a couple of weeks time, I'm going to fly to London for a wedding and then I'm going to fly from there to the south of France. So I want to have a tan for the south of France, but I don't want to be tanned for the wedding. Don't you ha- only have like a couple of days in London? Yeah, I'll make it work. <laughs> when I, I don't know. What do you need? Do you need to like cancel the rest of your day if you're getting a, a fake tan? I just thought you'd want to spend all your time with me. To be fair, I'll be in rehearsal, so I may not have time for you. And then I'll have Love Island in the evening. So really, I'm going to have to squeeze you in. (laughs) 
I want your time, if anything. And I'll be spending the rest of my time just ferociously scrubbing my feet. So, <laughs> um, I forgot I meant to ask you, will you bring me over some coffee beans from Zabar's when you come over? Oh, I'd like to put an order right. in. Let me make a note. I've got so many things I've got to smuggle into the country for Tom, Dick and Harry. Well, I think I should be your priority, to be fair. All right, Zabar's, what kind of coffee is it? Oh, I don't mind. Hazelnut, vanilla nut, they're all great. Zabar's coffee. Mm. Just like their own brand. Yeah, in fact, I'm drinking Zabar's coffee right now. I've never been to Zabar's. It's (gasps) so far away from me. I only went this time because I gasped as if it was like, how could you not have? But you live there. But it is amazing. No, I need to go. And walking into the coffee section is like, unri- the smell is just <laughs> heaven. Amazing. No, I'll go and I'll grab a babka for myself. <laughs> <sighs> How have you been? <laughs> yeah, I've been all right. Yeah. I sort of forgot what we were here to do just then. I was so sad. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me all about Ekin Sue. Oh, James, Ekinsu has been... Has she a firecracker, like She's such great TV. And it's really great because it's got to a point where everyone in the house is very over her. Even the lads. All of the lads, except for the one she's with at the moment. And I fear that he's going to have the thing of... No one... No, no. Oh, no. No, no. Oh, God. (laughs) She's not with Davide anymore. You've got to remember, this is Love Island. It moves very fast. Yeah. She's now with this guy called Jay and I think it may not last because no one wants to be with the person that everyone else is a bit over. Yeah. But she, we're just at this great point where every time she keeps like cornering people and making them listen to her and then they keep rolling their eyes or just the camera keeps picking up how bored they all are. And I love it. So what happened with Ek and Sue? She, so she partnered up with Davide, the Italian stallion. Italian snake. He, that exactly. Terrible. <laughs> Italian snake. <laughs> That wasn't my best work. That was as bad as Teresa's Italian. Um, (laughs) So they were partnered up together. Now, history's been a little bit rewritten, but to be fair, Davide didn't seem that interested in her. And one morning she was so upset that he didn't bring her a coffee that she cried. Oh. And... A Zabar's coffee, presumably. Exactly. And then this guy, Jay, came in, this new guy, and it was amazing. She was like... So what do you do? And he was like, oh, I work in finance. And she was like, oh my God, I used to work in finance. And then she was like, how old are you? And he was like, 28. And she was like, oh my God, I'm 27. It's like they're made for each other. And it was amazing. (laughs) She was like, oh my God, it's meant to be. Um, (laughs) So then she liked Jay so much that rather than wait, she, James, she just had to have him. And she had to have him now. And so she came up with this whole ploy. Where Can you she just was do like, that? No, Is that not against you're not the rules? Exactly. Oh. And she was like, meet me at the terrace. She was like, I feel like I can't talk to you now. And so he like came oh. up and then they like crawled onto the terrace. It was honestly like a Looney Tunes cartoon. They like crawled onto the terrace and then yeah. were whispering in the corner and then they made out. And then it happened again the next night. They crawled onto the terrace again. Just making out. No funny business. No funny business. Just making out. But then they got caught out. They were really unsubtle. They left together and then they came back together and everyone was like, where have you been? And she was like, by the front door. And then... (laughs) (laughs) And then... um, Watertight. Um, (laughs) Who's going to challenge her? Now that's an alibi. (laughs) But then it was amazing because Davide just, they were all, while they were up on the terrace, everyone else was being like, are they just up on the terrace? Everyone worked it out really quickly. Right. And then it was just amazing. Davide just walked straight up to Jay and was like, were you on the terrace with Ekinsu? And Jay just was like, um, yeah, I was. (laughs) And so (laughs) 
But then Davide and Ekatu had this like massive argument and he it's oh, amazing it he, but he keeps calling her my dear ekinsu as part of an argument you and can't i love keep it adding more <laughs> words onto ekinsu it sounds like enough of a phrase as it is uh he keeps calling her a liar uh. anyway it's been amazing there was just a lot going on the boys are generally frantic these two new boys got added and all of the boys are like freaking out and it's just been great it's been great tv there must be like 30 people in the house at this point i feel like they're adding people every other day have they started voting people out yet yeah yeah. Although only one person's left. They don't start with that many people, oh. to be fair. Oh, okay. Anyway, we're not here to anyway. talk about Love Island, but I do want to briefly no. catch up on New Beverly Hills. <laughs> oh, yeah. So are you fully caught up now? Fully caught up. All right. And my main takeaway is Garcelle looked incredible in that dress where she had the big flower in her hair and she in an orange dress. Yeah. What? Why are you looking like that? <laughs> No, that's just so funny because I watched the episode, I paused it, turned to Michael and said, Garcelle looks shit. What? (laughs) She looks looks incredible. I literally stopped and messaged my friend to say, oh my God, Garcelle looks incredible. I loved it. I know that I'm in the minority because everybody gave her a round of applause when she came in. I know it's You're like wrong. a risky. She look, looked I incredible. Guess. It was a very. I don't think it's risky. <laughs> it looked like she was a lounge singer from St Helens in Benidorm or something. And she looked incredible. Good for her. I loved <laughs> yeah, fair it. Fair enough. <laughs> so that was the main takeaway, was it? Yes. I don't want to dwell too long on this because we did talk about it quite a lot last week, but I think mm-hmm. two problems. One, you were so bang on with what you said last week that. The problem with starting a season with a drama like Dorit being held at gunpoint is that it's hard for the rest of the season to not be kind of dwarfed into appearing very petty every time it cuts to Dorit crying or being like, I can't be in like a ground floor room or whatever, because you sort of feel obligated to be like, yeah, that must be really hard. But... But the show sort of needs but the pettiness. The show must go on. Exactly. And like the show, Beverly Hills is especially petty. And it makes you very impatient for her to get over it. And I'm right. just finding Dorit constantly fair. being triggered very annoying, which I know is unfair, but I am. And mm-hmm. I don't think I'm the only one. Mm-hmm. And No, I think that's fair. The Crystal situation is complicated. I don't like the way Sutton's behaving and I don't like the way she's handling it. But I also do agree that crystal does this slightly odd thing of just like she just sort of implodes in these moments and just sort of in a way that i think might be a bit performative she she kind of takes Mm. on this victim role of okay Mm -hmm. i just can't deal with conflict or i can't and then spends three hours crying about something she maybe plays the victim a little too easily i don't know i think it's tricky and the only thing I can say for sure is that I couldn't have agreed with Garcelle more when she was like, Erica, you are bugging the shit out of me. (laughs) Erica was being so annoying. She was high as a kite though, wasn't she? She was hanging off of people like she was a sloth or something. I think the whole episode really, when she was like working on Crystal, going up to the bar and hanging off of her neck, like the lady in the baptism brawl, like hanging off of Joe. (laughs) Just like whispering, probably with like wine breath. Say shame. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Completely. Say liar. I kind of love it. Yeah, I just found Erica's just like very all up in everyone's business in a way where I'm just like, piss off. It's very annoying. And it's got a really interesting vibe at the moment. There's something very uncomfortable happening and very... Also, 
Everyone just seems incredibly emotional. That whole thing, like Sutton's huge reaction and leaving the table and having a kind of breakdown and then Diana crying and and Crystal right. crying for three hours. It feels like there's something in the air at the moment. I mean, I know that this was filmed a while back, but definitely it's interesting post-pandemic. Everyone's very emotional. And I imagine it comes from going through a sort of universal trauma altogether. But I've really noticed whether it's with teaching and with students or whether it's at rehearsals with other people and also myself and with friendship groups and things like that that everyone's like carrying a lot of emotion and it kind of bubbles over Mm. in a way that perhaps we used to have more of a guard up or have more of a especially that English kind of just like keep going mentality right right to just emerge from your cocoon after all this time it just feels very heightened emotion and not in a performative Mm. way in a slightly like unhinged way anyway that was my takeaway from Beverly Hills I agree with everything you said I didn't really have anything more to add (laughs) well I suppose I was behind so you already yeah, you've said no, your piece. You. So, season nine. I have a couple of stray thoughts at the top of the season. Go for it. This season, my very biggest takeaway, this season is proof that blondes really don't have more fun. Because <laughs> Teresa and Dolores, both two gorgeous olive-skinned brunettes, decide to go full bottle blonde <laughs> for this season. And, ooh boy, is it hard to watch. <laughs> Dolores looks... I don't think I realised because I've gotten quite accustomed to her hair by this point because she's kept it for quite a few seasons now. But when we first meet her in season seven, she's gorgeous and she's got that like dark, shiny black mane, very Sophia Loren about her. And I just think it does her no favours whatsoever. I see. So it didn't inspire you to go full blonde? (laughs) Well, I think the key to going full blonde. (laughs) Just the tips. Exactly. Doing a little frosted tip. You either want to go for like 2000s gay porn star. If you do a frosted tip... I'm going to look like an extra in Josie and the Pussycats. I think it would work with some like Gareth Gates spikes (laughs) and a seashell necklace. And I think I'd look the part. What part? (laughs) (laughs) The part. I think we all know what part. You know, say more. So yes, I think that's the only way forward if you want to go blonde. Obviously, lots of people look amazing when they're blonde. I just think with Dolores' complexion, she's doing herself no favours going that Colour. And also there's a lot of shots where she's got some really hair extensions. She does. That's true. There there are a lot of back of the head shots. where. And to be fair, who wants to be filmed from the back of the head? Like, I would hate to have... Oh my God, they did rehearsal photos the other day. And every time I heard the camera go when it was behind me, I was like, oh God. Because no one wants pictures of like their back or the back of their head. It's like, I don't... I walk around like like a crab most of the time so that no one sees. Yeah. I don't need pictures of the back of my arms or my pant line and my leggings. Come on. Speaking though of all angles of your body, the other point I wanted to bring up is our very first meeting of Margaret this season that is literally a shot of her house with the sound of her going, and then suddenly (laughs) it cuts to... To Margaret and Joe, bollock naked in bed, with Margaret just immediately, oh, it's too soon, it's too early in the morning. She's like, how are my lashes, Joe? Joe, Joe, do you want to get me some coffee, Joe? And not that kind of coffee. I I know what you're thinking. When I say cream on the top, I don't mean cream on the top. You know what I'm saying? Oh, Joe, I stick. Let's get in the shower. And then they just have a full shower session. It's too much. I don't remember this at all. You must have blanked it from your memory. That's probably it. It's a lot. I think I have a bad habit with openings of seasons. I've just done it with season 10, I think. I I don't concentrate on all of the this is where I'm at bits. It's probably for the best because I feel like it never sets up the season well because that's our first meeting of Margaret and then our first meeting of Dolores is her just being like, oh look, my windows don't open. 
oh, look, there's a hole in the wall. Yeah. And then FaceTiming Frankie and being like, Frankie, you know what I do? I go to the football pitch and I, I watch the kids play and I pick out the skinniest kid, pretend he's you, and I take him to the zoo. <laughs> I think I was just like on far fetch at this point, just like scanning outfits I liked. So that kind of went over my head. The season opens with a bit of a misdirection as well, because we open with sort of a super tease where it seems like the editors are very intentionally misleading us into thinking that it's going to be a rehash of the Teresa versus Joe and Melissa drama. I don't know. On the one hand, I'm groaning because I don't want to relive those dark ages of New Jersey. But on mm. the other hand, I'm really excited to get Lady Macbeth Melissa back. You're so right that it begins with a preview that makes it look like all of the drama like, of the season is going to be. Like that. that's the crown jewel of the season. And for a season where there's a lot of quite juicy drama and bust ups and glass throwing and everything, the big super tease ends with Melissa saying to Teresa in Oklahoma really early on going, I just want you to love me like a real sister. And then it's like three months earlier and then it opens up and it's like, oh, is that what we're building up to? What a a snooze. Yes, I remember. And I remember that's probably why I then went on my phone and went on Farfetch. I was like, bored. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it is an element, but it's just constantly pulsing in the background rather than the big bombastic drama that we get elsewhere. But I think why it's constantly pulsing in the background is there's an interesting dynamic here where after two seasons of Melissa being forced into being Teresa's lady-in-waiting, if you will, they've sort of abandoned being allies now because there's enough new recruits between them that they don't really need each other anymore. That's exactly it. But they still want to save face. So we get the rest of the season and many more seasons to come where they're fighting in a very sort of sneaky and direct way with lots of proxy wars and subterfuge. And I think the fact that Jennifer and Jackie are such sycophants and they're very willing to fight on Melissa and Teresa's behalf half it makes their job a lot easier yes exactly yeah you're so right let's talk about jackie and and yeah um, what's her name jennifer (laughs) so so jennifer like a year or so ago i had a a job and i was getting my makeup done and the makeup artist was Was jennifer (laughs) (laughs) the very same and when she said she's from New Jersey, I couldn't immediately go to a place of, do you watch The Real Housewives of New Jersey? Because that would be obnoxious. Oh, so I, I didn't. Would've... But what I did do, which isn't obnoxious, is I looked over her shoulder every time she went on her Instagram. And then I immediately saw Jennifer was on her Instagram <laughs> feed. So I was like, oh my God, you follow Jennifer Aiden? And she was like, yeah, I, she's actually my neighbor. I'm, I'm actually really good friends with her. And then of course it all comes out, you know, like I love The Real Housewives. I have a podcast. Yeah. And then she goes, oh, that's so funny. Like you should, let's film a video and we'll send it to her. And what this poor woman clearly meant was me just going, hi, Jennifer, I love you so much. I love The Real Housewives. Bye. What she got instead was me giving my TED talk, being like, hi, Jennifer, I think you're such fantastic casting. You gave the show a real shot in the arm. I love how you changed it. And basically just going on for 20 minutes. And then singing Ladies Who Lunch. The woman's holding up her phone. (laughs) She has to like put her elbow down on the table to rest it and then change her phone into the other hand to give a rest. And then eventually I wrap it up and then she turns the phone around and is like, okay, thanks, Jen. I'll like speak to you later. And sort of like rolls her eyes. I may have burnt that bridge with Jennifer. Oh, James. coming off a little bit too strong. And then I did my ladies who lunch. So, yes. Rise! That's my... <laughs> the woman's still sat there. Like, but she's just become as mummified as my feet Stop at that point. Stop before you kill yourself. <clears throat> exactly. Yeah. But I love Jennifer. And uh, I love Jackie in different ways. I like Jennifer in the same way I like Ekin Sue. I think she's great TV. I don't like her. <laughs> no, she she fits into the same category as Kenya on Atlanta or Candace on Potomac, where 
she's an arsehole and she's a yeah. troublemaker, but God, you need her on the show. Yeah. She gets the assignment. She does. And she is great television, mm-hmm. but she is an arsehole. I think we see that in full force on the Oklahoma trip. Oklahoma. That sounded like I was saying Oklahoma, like it was some kind of joke. It was. <laughs> I, that was just <laughs> a mistake on that. Oklahoma. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm amazed that no one made that joke with the new Oklahoma that's dark. Yeah. Called it. Okay. Is it woke though? No, probably not. Um, no. Anyway. So Marge and her group trips. This is... <laughs> God, she sure can pick them. So this reason why we're going on this group trip is so that she can supposedly work on a line of superhero hospital gowns (laughs) for sick kids, which is a great idea. It's so great, in fact, that someone's already already done it. Been done and it exists. (laughs) And we're only told this after the fact. So again, the whole trip is a complete wash. But what we do get is lots of instances of all of the women being really annoying, especially Jennifer. And that's a really high bar to meet because we open with them coming out of the airport with Melissa going, we're in Oklahoma, y'all. I'm going to start saying y'all all the time now because we're in the South. Get it? And then we get the obligatory van ride over where they get a shot of them passing a field of cows and they all go, cows! <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, you have to do. Yep. It's really just a blueprint of all the trips, isn't it? Completely. And then we just get following in the tradition. We get the one person who's not very impressed with the digs because they go to this beautiful house and Jennifer's not impressed and they get a grand tour of the place. And it's like, there's a grand piano. And Jennifer's like, I have a grand piano too, a white one. And then they go outside and there's a sunset. And she's like, I have to say, I have a very similar sunset at my house. It's the highest point in Paramus. And on one side, it's the view of Manhattan. And on the other side, it's the sunset and it's blood red. It's blood red. And I, this is what I love about New Jersey specifically, these really niche geographical fun facts. Because now we know that Paramus gets a good sunset. I would say to myself, I'd never in my life heard someone take ownership of a sunset as if it was something that they designed as part of their aesthetic. I've never heard someone speak about a sunset as if it was so personal to them. Like, we get a very similar sunset. Normally, you might say that about, we have a very similar wallpaper in our house or something like that. Mm-hmm. But I've never heard of someone take like a... like. A natural element of the living world. <laughs> we went to China to get our sunset. Exactly. It's, it's, blood it's, we went all the red. way there. Mm. Red, blood red. So yeah, so we get a lot of that from Jennifer. And then we get these talking heads from Margaret being like, the only thing worse than a Debbie Dowder is a one-upper. Jen is a one-upper. And like we get that scene as well where they go shopping for cowboy boots. And Jen is like, $500 for cowboy boots? As if that's like a ridiculous thing to say. And then she's kind of like uses it as a chance to sort of brag about how the women think that she's really frivolous with money, but she would never drop that much money on something as silly as cowboy boots. But it kind of like backfires on her and it makes her look like a complete ignoramus because it's like, yeah, they're $500 because actually there's a lot of craftsmanship yeah, yeah, that goes exactly. into it. It's like real artistry to it that you wouldn't appreciate because you buy a load of tat. Jennifer is a complete ass, but there's something inherently funny about her going around being a complete loud mouth new money type spouting off all the most ignorant stereotypes about the south and cutting to margaret every time going like jen you, you, you're being an idiot just take it down a notch you know it's just, it is quite a funny dynamic yeah jen's whole dynamic is very interesting even the whole thing of her having to ask having never been away on a trip and having to ask her husband permission and him seeming very like uncomfortable with that i don't know she she brings a very interesting 
like you say, this sort of new money, but very old school structure and tradition as well. It feels very old school, almost like Orange County, where she's just shamelessly new money, very tacky, with very backwards understandings of gender, which mm. I guess is a given in, for this crowd. And like a husband who seemingly has no issue looking a bit controlling on yeah. camera. That whole scene where he's like, why didn't you tell me you're not going to go on this trip, are you? But it's like, surely you you know this is going to happen, right? You know. Yeah. Again, that was in the contract. You know what the deal is with the show. So it's just interesting that they would he would so willingly look like that on camera. There's almost a naivety where they're filming a reality show in 2019, but as if it's 2006, where Twitter yeah. doesn't exist yet. Like, you know you're going to get blowback on social media. And I kind of admire exactly. that. Exactly. <laughs> and I think because I started watching back, obviously from the start, I sort of forgot watching how up to date these seasons are. Right. So I still in my head was having a bit like this was like the m- mid two thousand, like early 2000s. Right. And suddenly you're like, oh no, yeah. this was just like a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah. Even the stuff with the kids and it, there, there is a kind of naivety to the way Jennifer comes on, whereas someone like Jackie comes on and seems to have a very clear idea of what role they're going to fill on the show and whether it's affected or not, like they have a clear mm-hmm. personality outline that they're going to fill in and where that will mm-hmm. fit. Where Jennifer, a bit like someone like Danielle, has that slight loose cannon thing of they don't really mind being a villain of a season, but they've got no clear sense of where they're going with that or like what they want to come across as mm-hmm. I don't know it'd be interesting for me to watch this next season and see if that changes if she sort of settles into that more because sometimes I think you can dislike someone in their first season and then find that you're sort of weirdly won over like Sutton right. like a lot of people had that with Sutton yeah yeah Jennifer's a really good example of you can't because so many housewives have a rough first season and that the audience hates them and I think Jennifer's one of them but you can't be that rash you can't listen to that mob who's like fire Jennifer at Bravo Andy because you need to invest in someone like Jennifer because she really settles into it while still maintaining that very telegenic quality that she has and it's really interesting I don't know maybe you'll disagree but I find in later seasons what's really interesting about Jennifer is that if anything she's a more compelling character in her home scenes with her family where she's home alone not with the women and it's actually a side where she really softens and um, she kind of like lets that wall down and there's not a need to sort of stir up drama needlessly and I actually find it very compelling Um, she's a very compelling character in that sense it's a terrible showing in Oklahoma that Jen has in many ways, but it's also a great showing because in that it's a very Ramona performance, which is always a good thing in my book. It's very Ramona and she's a terrible drunk and she... She's like, country music? What a snooze. Yeah. Let's get some house music in here. Am I right? She really <laughs> fills that fuck. thing of just like saying the most awful things and then just being like, sorry, that's how I feel. But then she buttons the whole thing up in a really great way because they all call her out and they're like, you're an idiot. And then she's like, you're right. And I'm going to go sleep in the trailer tonight because that was like the running joke of yeah. the of the trip like who's going to sleep in the trailer and she did it all by herself she just buttoned the scene beautifully buttoned the trip very yeah, nicely she, you're right she's she has a good flair for the show and then jackie is kind of the antithesis of that and i think she and margaret between them were a really necessary introduction for the show because it really gets us out of the cycle of old school and family yes and i think we see that on display a lot with this really annoying frustrating can you control your husband yes let's get on to the can you control your husband debate yeah so Teresa's upset that joe gorga isn't around as much as she feels that he should be 
And mm-hmm. in typical Teresa fashion, rather than sort of take him aside and talk to him about it privately or something like that, it's sort of brought up at that dinner in front of everyone in a... To me, the irony of this whole control your husband thing is that Teresa also knows Joe well enough to know how to annoy him and how to mm-hmm. get him to do what you want. And she also doesn't pick the right tack. And it annoys me that she should also know by this point, if you want Joe Gorga to do something, then you probably have to kind of flatter him into doing it. Right. Or that if you make him feel bad about it, it's probably not going to work. That's a good point, though, is that it there does seem to be that latent misplaced very blurred line between being a sister and being a wife that Teresa kind of has with Joe, where there's almost a bit of, almost like a subtle implication of, Melissa, if I was Joe's wife, I would... Exactly, which I should be. You know, which I should, (laughs) because I love him. Exactly. And I think this whole control thing is interesting because I think it gets changed over the course of the argument to being something which I do understand more, which is Joe listens to you. There's one world where Teresa could have put it as like, look, you know that Joe listens to you and that he adores you. Would you help me get Joe to see his dad more? But instead, the whole thing is put as, we all know that wives can control their husbands and that wives can make their husbands think something or do something. You should be doing that with Joe, which is totally mm-hmm. the wrong tag. And also, I'm sorry, but totally invites Jackie's argument, which I think I would say as well. Teresa has such a bad habit in general of picking a fight with someone in which there's a huge gaping hole in her logic. But not only that, there's a big sign and flashing lights all around the hole being like, this way to Teresa's Achilles heel. Yeah, exactly. So when the person who's attacked is on the defense, they're forced to state the bleeding obvious and Teresa gets mortally offended and can't believe that they would say such a thing. It's like the grand tradition of the show. It's like exactly. saying to Kathy, like, if you're a good cousin, you wouldn't have run away from the baptism. Exactly. Ball, even though exactly. she was taking away her kids that's what's very frustrating with this argument and, and with how her huge and you know we go round and round in circles with Teresa but her reaction to what Jackie says Jackie's saying but if you think someone can control their husband don't you see that like but your husband's in prison because I think the point is mm-hmm. and you would argue that you couldn't control that and you couldn't control right. nor would anyone expect exactly. you to control she's that. not being right. like it's your fault right and Teresa's response is so in true Teresa fashion, it's like you're saying about the Gia, if I said Gia was taking coke or... It's mm-hmm. it's always just such a fundamental misunderstanding of like what the person was saying. And just, yeah. again, I kind of... We go round and round in circles to the point that I think we kind of can't talk about it that much more. But with Teresa, it's just that endless... The endless hypocrisy, the endless falling down on the wrong side of the argument. Or I've just been watching that bit where she's saying to Margaret, that's so below the belt that you just went for the prostitution thing with Danielle. And then it just cuts to the clip of Teresa being what? like, prostitution, whore! <laughs> and like, I can't believe that. It's just, I forgot about that. It's just always the way with Teresa that it's like she always finds a way to say someone's gone like way too far with the person that said like the lesser thing in the argument and to just totally ignore the way someone was baited into it and that happens Mm -hmm. so many times in this season especially the dinner with Jennifer going in at Margaret about the mum and cheating and things like that this is Teresa my god if anyone mentioned her mother or anyone's mother like Teresa chooses when to have a total blind spot and this is what Melissa said I I know I'm jumping ahead and we'll talk about this next week but you know when Melissa keeps being like Teresa she went in for family this is you Mm -hmm. like you imagine how you would feel if you were talking about your parents 
And also, Margaret said something horrible and then immediately owned that it was horrible. Right. And for Teresa, it's like, yeah, but she said it. And it's like, when did you ever own anything you said or say sorry? Like, it's so frustrating and it's so frustrating that the show is so determined for Teresa to be the main part because it means that we're just forever stuck in that trajectory. Yeah. And it's just really annoying. I think what's interesting about this Can You Control Your Husband fight on a macro level, though, is that we've kind of said before that every Real Housewives city in some iteration has that idea of there's an alpha female who's a gatekeeper to that world. And they're like, honey, if you want to make it in this society, you have to do X, Y, Z. And then there's almost always some outsider who scoffs at that idea and goes, this is bullshit and stupid. And they kind of clown the alpha for building their life around a set of arbitrary rules that don't mean anything. Uh It's very Luann and Bethany. It's very Kyle and Brandy. It's very like Vicky Gumbelson and basically any new hot young housewife who joins the show. And Jersey's never really had that because there's not that idea of society, I guess. Mm -hmm. But what they do have is this idea of family, as we've discussed, ad nauseum. And it's almost portrayed as a form of currency. And it's like the bigger your family and the tighter you are, the more power you wield. And I think it's no coincidence that in those first two seasons, it really boiled down to Caroline Manzo versus Danielle. And Caroline has like her army of siblings and in-laws and kids. And Danielle is just this outside and it's just her and her two daughters and that's it. And even then, Danielle never really flouted those rules. She always wanted to belong. Whereas with Jackie, for the very first time on the show, we have someone who's like, look, I love my husband. I love my kids. I love being a mum." And saying the husband is the head of the family and the wife is the neck is a cute saying and all, but it's just a saying. It doesn't mean anything. The idea that wives have to behave a certain way Mm -hmm. and bat their eyelashes to get what they want from their big, strong men is bullshit and it's out of date. And in doing though, she really kind of takes a sledgehammer to the entire show's thesis statement for the last 10 years. And when she says stuff like that, it kind of cuts to Teresa and Dolores in particular. They're just sort of sat there blinking with their mouths agape because Uh -uh. that's their entire worldview. It's like what they built their lives around and it's how they perceive themselves as women. They don't really know how to deal with it going forward, especially with Teresa, because we've said like she clings to cliches and phrases. It's why when Jennifer says the thing about the wife being the neck, Teresa loves it. She eats that kind of thing up. Exactly. And also it is just tricky. You have this Jackie versus Teresa thing. Jackie is just much more articulate. Right. And Teresa just can't begin to... Again, I mean, we've seen this, I think, season after season as well, which is that Teresa kind of can't keep up with what someone's saying. So she'll just pick out phrases that they say and just Mm -hmm. hold on to that for dear life and be like, Mm -hmm. I heard Joe in prison or whatever. So that's all I heard. Because she can't remember the rest of what the person said. Mm -hmm. It's a bit like a colander with Teresa. It's like only the big bits stay stuck in it. All of the nuance drains out the bottom. And that's what gets her into trouble because if she had more of a sense of nuance... If she had a beat to just think about it, she would rephrase her argument about being able to control your husband. But Jackie sort of tries to give her an out before she says that, well, yeah. your husband be in jail. She's like, do you literally think you can control your husband? And Teresa's just like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay, if okay. you insist, right, here we go with this argument. <laughs> And I find it so maddening, Dolores' involvement. I find Dolores really annoying this season. She's suddenly Blind like Lossy. a member of the, of the family all of a sudden. And that's what annoys me, like how they fetishize family incessantly. And this idea that you have to 
commit the rest of your life to people who you find miserable purely because you're related by blood. And then Dolores isn't related to them by blood, but suddenly it's like, I've known her for 20 years. She's basically a part of the family. This idea that the longer you've known someone, the more sway they have in a discussion about a family issue. Whereas Jackie makes the very valid point where it's like, okay, I might not have known Melissa for that long, but we get along on a very fundamental level yeah. we're very similar people and why is that being discounted just because I wasn't hanging out with you guys on the Jersey Shore in the 80s yeah I mean I don't think it should be discounted I was saying recently to someone I was seeing something about someone in a new relationship where they kept posting about I couldn't be prouder of this person and about <sighs> their like public pride was annoying me because I thought or they kept being like the best person I know like couldn't be prouder of like the best man I know and I just thought if one of my best friends started seeing someone and five weeks in was saying I couldn't be prouder of the best person I know I would be fucking insulted as one of their oldest friends I would be like Mm -hmm. first of all you should be prouder further down the line because I think that pride comes from watching someone's journey and watching someone like getting to that place I think you earn pride in people And Uh second of all, if someone called someone like the best person they knew a couple of, again, I'm like, you earn status in each other's lives because Mm -hmm. friendships take an enormous amount of work to actually sustain over a really long period of time. And I think that you do deserve to take real like pride when you have a friendship where you have put that work in in that time and you've got through loads of things. So I do understand to a degree that I do think time is an important factor in friendships. I don't think that discounts. I don't like the way that they talk with the Jackie thing of like, you've known her five minutes, why is it like, therefore your opinion doesn't matter. But I do Mm -hmm. agree that I would be upset if I felt dismissed for someone that had just like come into the picture. Yeah. I don't know. I think what, there's a really interesting subtext when they talk about Jackie and Dolores comes out with it a lot this season and the next season to the point where it makes me kind of uncomfortable where Dolores is like, Listen, Jackie, you don't have the same values as the rest of us. You're not old school. You're liberal. You're elitist. You're not cut from the same cloth as us. I don't like it. You know, it's just a bit like, what are you getting at? Yeah. And Jackie is very threatening to someone like Teresa and Dolores for the reasons I just mentioned, for the same reasons that I think her and Melissa hit it off so quickly, because I think Melissa, as much as she loves Joe, and she comes from that old school world as well, and she had, you know, those early years of being like, thank you, Jesus. It's clear that she can feel quite suffocated, I think, by the old school world. Her husband's a chauvinistic pig. Her sister-in-law's constantly dictating what a good wife can and cannot do. She's already sort of toyed with the idea of autonomy by opening up Envy. And so suddenly Margaret and Jackie come along who sort of scoff at that world. And they're quite shiny and new and exciting and different to Melissa. And a confirmation that, yeah, you can fully take a step out of this world right now. Like there is another world out there and you're actually going to be fine. So I can completely see why Melissa and Jackie- Also, it must just be lovely for Melissa to have some people in her corner who are actually in her corner. Yeah, right. She's not really had that. Especially with this laughable idea, ridiculous idea that Teresa has picked a fight with Melissa saying you should be able to control your husband and if you can't, then you're not being a proper wife. And then someone defending Melissa and then Teresa getting indignant that Melissa wasn't defending Teresa as if Melissa's meant to go no Jackie that's not true like Teresa's right I am a shit wife I should be able to control my husband it's 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 ridiculous can we talk about the brunch at Margaret's yes so one of my favorite moments oh we missed another great moment which is Danielle 
truly like announcing her return to form with that first scene with <laughs> Margaret in which she's so upset that Margaret is going to Dolores's party and she just comes straight out by being like, what, what is so important about you being friends with Dolores? What? I know, what? yeah. You cheated on your husband and she was cheated on? She got cheated on. <laughs> and you're like, well done, Danielle. <laughs> exactly. Before she comes out with that, though, at the very beginning when Margaret, who knows that she's going to get her head bitten off, yeah, yeah. tries to broach the topic of how she's been d- invited to Dolores' party and she's going, Danielle's only initial response is, hmm. And I'm <laughs> and like, like, oh, that's back. the Danielle I know and love. There she is. Um, but, oh, but my welcome back. favourite Danielle moment is when Danielle turns up to that brunch and she is... I think Danielle feels much more secure in her position in the show, especially with two new people this season compared to last season, where I think she was sort of semi on her best behaviour. And that is so right. seen by this new list of demands, like high maintenance Danielle, who's now come in oh, with, this with this list of allergies. allergies. <laughs> Does this have dairy in it? Oh, I, I can't have dairy. I'm refusing to put on the face mask. Because it has like coconut. Oh, there's coca line and coconut coca line in these in, fa- in these face masks. I just can't do it. She's oh. like, I just can't risk it. Are there bell peppers? These bell peppers upset my stomach. And oh, then there's the butter, butter in the, in the pan. pan. And when Margaret's like, <laughs> she's yeah, like, we we'll just wipe it. They wipe the pan, Danielle. And she goes, I wish oh, it, it was that it easy. It doesn't work like I, I, wish, I wish. I wish I could. <laughs> oh, Margaret, I wish it were that easy. <laughs> <laughs> Mm. When she's discussing The Bachelor, mm, everything has to be gluten-free and dairy-free. Oh. And I want the environment to be of the expensive kind. <laughs> it's just brilliant. Uh, and I just, I want to use, I wish it were that easy every time anyone asks me I to do anything. I wish it were that easy. But I don't want to do. Mm. Mm, I, wish it, I wish it were that easy. But, uh, I wish it were. I honestly do. Another great Danielle return to form where... Jackie and Melissa are talking about their new friendship and Danielle decides to pipe up and go, do you and Melissa have a little lesbian thing going on? (laughs) I'm a gay advocate, Danielle style right there. (laughs) Fucking hell. And also it's like, come on. She spends the rest of the season like hanging off of all her girlfriends, like whispering sweet nothings into their ear, being like, please don't leave me. I love you. And like gifting Teresa jewelry at the reunion and stuff. Like, come on. I know. I'm really looking forward to next week covering Bridezilla Danielle. And Danielle actually just takes up a huge amount of the second half of this series in a really wonderful way. And she's just having a whale of a time being just so awful so like pantomimically so awful. awful and what just margaret's face throughout is just the funniest thing throughout the season it's just like complete disbelief at the monster that's been released back into the show it's just such a shame danielle completely gets in her own way she's completely engineered this breakdown of her friendship with margaret which ironically, I think all stemmed from a fear of losing her in the first place. Yeah, but that's very Danielle, isn't it? To be like, I'll reject you before you reject me. I think there's a lot of her repeating behaviours that I think she must have learned over life. So in that very first sushi lunch with Margaret, when she says the thing about cheating and then she immediately starts crying. You hurt me. It hurts me. She (laughs) did. James, that was terrible. And she's... Hoits me. No, she says hoits. She says hoits. She... Danielle does a lot of that thing of being like, you hurt me so bad. Not just in that dinner, but whenever she, when she'll be like, I was 
heartbroken. And I'm angry and I'm taking it out on you because I love you so much. They use such high language in New Jersey. I love it so much. Everything is just so so like... It's so good. It's almost Shakespearean. But that scene, going from the hmm, which is like very Pinter-esque, where there's so much tension under the surface where you know in that hmm she's deciding in that moment she's gonna destroy margaret josephs can you imagine like a beckett play where you know like crap's yeah. last tape where it's just danielle you know that there are all those beckett plays where there's like no words or anything it's just like a series of actions mm-hmm. it's where it's like just danielle walking around her house just going hmm mm. <laughs> different things it's like danielle wonders I'd watch it. Oh, that would be clever because it would be like wonders, like wonders. Yeah. And wonders. Yeah. But she's also, mm, I can't help but wander. Yeah. <laughs> I do think, though, in fairness to, well, not even in fairness to Danielle, but off of the back of last season, this whole thing of you can't be friends with people I don't like debate, for Margaret to suddenly do a complete about face about going to Dolores' party and go, oh, please, this, like, this isn't high school, Danielle. Like, I, you and I are in a package deal. I could be friends with whoever I want. It's like a bit, like, I agree, but that wasn't the stance you were taking last year. What was Margaret's stance? Margaret's stance last year with Kim D. Oh, it was the Hitler thing. Dolores may be nice to me, but she's not nice to you. Yeah, I guess that's true. I hadn't really thought about that. Hmm... Hmm. And then it is just funny because then Margaret shifts in her chair ever so slightly. She's like, okay, how could I say this? And then proceeds to talk to Danielle in the exact same placating tone that you would to someone who's got a bomb strapped to their chest. Yeah, yeah. It's, like, <laughs> it's so high stakes and so dramatic. <laughs> and and that just seems to be the lay motif for the rest of the season. Danielle constantly picking fights with Margaret over some, from this point on, some wedding related oh, crap. I can't wait to talk about that bit when Margaret walks in with the wet hair oh it's <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh it's like the jaws music playing it's like you know it's gonna happen exactly like the, and it's also it's like the, the rule, rule of threes three. as well it's isn't it so good <laughs> and the first is like hi yeah. it's like hi. one wet she's hair like, mm, do you like, have wet this? hair <laughs> it's like Oh, she's got wet hair as well. Oh, I see. And then it's like, by the time poor old Margaret walks in, are you ready for a happy wedding? <laughs> poor old Margaret, who literally also has like such, in the nicest way, has such fine hair. that It's yeah, only going to take like hair. two fucking blows exactly. of a hairdryer Come to on. blow dry it. I love the, um when they're talking about the planning of her bachelorette party and... She's really pissed because something to do with the wedding dress alteration. Like because Margaret wasn't there for the, the first time. <laughs> but Margaret didn't come to the, the wedding dress alteration. <laughs> I don't think anyone has to come dress. to that. No one knew. No, I don't. Like, I mean, I'm not au fait with how it works, but oh, I don't know. But then the way she announces it, Danielle, you know, she's fucking furious when she really lingers on her L's. So she was like, it was a really lonely day when I had to go for my alterations all by myself. <laughs> it's like, fuck. <laughs> she's on the warpath here. Fucking hell. And then she seals the deal when she's like, when do I get to feel like the bride instead of being attacked and gnawed at like a dog with a freaking bone? She's freaking Ugh. Oh. Should we talk about the bachelorette party? Yes, let's talk about the bachelorette party. 
that stripper dance with Danielle looks far too rehearsed and choreographed to be. She's just like flipping around like Cirque du Soleil. I she... and also it's weird because she's. If it was Melissa, you know, she'd spend the whole thing being like, ah, ah, like having a big right, thing. Right, Danielle's right. just like completely silent through the whole thing. It's like she doesn't know what to do because she doesn't know whether to go into like reciprocating mode in like a in like a dancey way mm-hmm. and go into her like, um, <laughs> <and> suggest <laughs> kind of thing, but like. Also, Danielle is sort of incapable of taking the mick out of herself or letting go. So she just does this weird, like, tight-lipped, like... She's just, like, being flung around in a chair. Well, I did take it as not in, like, an insulting way to Danielle, but I imagine this isn't her first rodeo when it comes to getting a lap dance or anything. So I just thought she was like, okay, here we go. Yeah, but there's a lap dance and there's being, like, somersaulted in the air into, like, a kind of cunnilingus pose (laughs) with a chair on the shoulder. It's like, it's... It was like me playing the MC in Cabaret. Jesus. And let me tell you, that took weeks of rehearsal. (laughs) What I will say about the stripper is considering that Danielle was emphatic about how she wants the environment to be of the expensive kind, to have a stripper who keeps his socks on for the whole time <laughs> is not expensive to me. Just have this, He's like, got a buster catch. He's got to make that got, quick change got, back. As, this is the as, first of many he's, appearances. Exactly. Yeah, he's got a it's hustle. It's 6pm. Yeah, That's what enough. you don't realise. Right. Um, so... A very eagle-eyed listener messaged us Ooh. to say that the notorious but much-loved Elvira, who infamously planned Teresa's housewarming, also was the party planner for Danielle's bachelorette. Ah, very eagle-eyed. Yeah. And thank God they messaged because it's the quickest blink and you'd miss it cameo. And the fact that there was no flashback to Elvira being like, well, what about staff? Do you have staff? Get staff. You know, it's... <laughs> criminal and also did you notice that jill zarin was there stop she it's the saddest sight and i don't think she gets a chiron or anything which completely baffles me that is weird with the show and it does make me think that jill zarin must have done something highly terroristic at bravo hq like that is so weird that bravo's like nope we don't Why do they keep punishing her? Yeah. And she's just like always there on the fringe. She's so close. I'd like to think that she just like pop up in every franchise at various things. She's just like, it's like, where's Wally? It's like, where's Ah, Jill's Exactly. At this Bachelorette, this is where Danielle, obviously the train has left the station in terms of acting like a bridezilla. She's being a complete nightmare. But this is where Danielle isn't being smart tactically anymore. Because she starts to lay it on really thick with the sycophancy when it comes to Teresa. Mm. So Teresa's talking to Danielle about the whole control your husband business. And Danielle's like, Melissa may not have your back, but I do. And I love you, baby. And it's just, you can't even call it Shakespearean anymore. It's so on the nose. And it's only by the grace of God that Teresa's too thick to realize that Danielle's working her, that she manages to get away with it for so long. It's weird. Teresa doesn't even seem to enjoy her company. It's so weird. And it also taps into some like deep primal fear I think we all have that we're like the Danielle in friendships. Completely. It's that Alex McCord thing of of her, when yeah. she's like jumping on the bed with Ramona and Sonia and you're like oh no you're not it's a twosome not a threesome and it's exactly. it's like I watch yeah. Danielle and some deep deep terrified child part of me is like oh god mm-hmm. I hope I never am in a friendship where I'm waxing lyrical about 
how my friend wants to be treated and stuff and everyone else is like babe she doesn't even like you she doesn't care that much like she doesn't care and even Teresa, who doesn't have that much intelligence academic or emotional or whatever even she it's that thing exactly it's like on a primal level you can sniff out desperation and recoil from it like everyone has that within us and i think it is that terrified child and i think danielle's enacting that terrified child i think the whole wedding is just a lot of pageantry to prove to herself that she's not abandoned for once and that she does have love and attention now how can daniela been engaged like 24 times or whatever and i can't get a fucking boyfriend people keep saying this but it's like you have higher standards than that and you want a partner for life. Like she's just happy to kind but of find the But how does she do it so you... quickly? <laughs> but I, Ellie, come on. If you're an engaging and suggesting on the street corner of London, you get 19 guys in no time. Like, <laughs> you'll be, you, you'd be fine. It wouldn't There's be no as rich as these guys. Like, no. <laughs> I don't know how she's doing it. She's very, she's very skilled. Can we talk about Marty? Marty. <laughs> Marty. He's awful. <laughs> yeah. That's it. That's all I have to say. Okay. Okay. What made you think that he's awful? He's awful, but from the start, there's just no love there. Like, there's no... I mean, obviously, there's no love there, but there's no even affection. Like, they just seem to dislike each other intensely. He seems to have become an alcoholic already. Like, there's something about the way he drinks and that scene where he sat there being like... Where he doesn't have his kids anymore, really. And she's like, his kids do not like me. (laughs) His kids don't like me. (laughs) She's just... And that, and also that oh. that really embarrassing bit when he publicly is basically a bit like, "I gave up my kids for you, didn't I?" Oh, I loved it. It was so theatrical. It's I so chose theatrical. you. I chose you to the detriment of my children. I chose you. Oh God. Oh. Mm. it's a very similar so that if we can just talk about that i think there's some parallels there between danielle forcing this sophie's choice situation on marty it's either me or your kids is again a very tactically foolish way of going about things because he may have chosen you you may have won this battle but it's such a foolish move in the long run and it's just not a war that you're going to win and everyone points out if you want to keep this guy you need to bring the family together you need to make it better you need to suck it up buttercup but does she even have any intention to keep that's the weird thing with danielle is that they just seem so temporary it just seems like she wants the wedding yeah that's why she goes through guys so quickly and i think that's why she doesn't have any longevity on the show she never plays the long game. This is why with her digging her claws into Teresa, Danielle is obviously desperate to preserve her place on the show. And yeah. for some reason, she sees Teresa as her meal ticket. And also for some reason feels as though the strength of her relationship with Teresa is directly proportional to the strength of her feuds with everyone else. But that's where she's not being smart. Like, I get if you're Danielle, you have no real roots in the cast. You're only a friend of. You need to invest in a friendship and a main cast member mm-hmm. with enough clout to keep you around. If you're just thinking about clout, then sure, Teresa is going to be the horse to bet on. However, Teresa is famously terrible at maintaining friendships on the show. She goes through random yeah. supporting foot soldiers at an alarming rate. She expects blind devotion. She won't give you anything in to return. To be fair, Danielle is hanging in there. She was. Well, she's hanging up, but that's what I mean. Hanging in there in the temporary, in the now. But if she wanted to think about her future, yeah. Margaret may only be a sophomore housewife, but she's loyal, she's sensible, she's reasonable. There's a real friendship there. Whereas Teresa clearly just isn't that bothered with Danielle either yeah. way. She's 
happy to kind of have her around, but she doesn't feel any obligation to keep her around. And Danielle yeah. could have gotten so much more mileage on the show if she'd focused on Marge and Melissa between them, even if Teresa had dropped Danielle like a sack of shit, Margaret and Melissa have enough power between them to keep Danielle around. I mean, look at Jackie. Yeah, would have been less fun though. Oh, for sure. Yeah, like, <laughs> of course, we, we thank you for everything. Like, this could have been a really dull wedding, but good old Danielle, she like punctures a hole in her tongue. She's like, oh my God. screaming every five minutes. But also, that, oh. who casually punctures a hole right through in their tongue? First of all, like how she did that. So, But also, I'm amazed that she just then carried on with her day. She's so blasé about it. That's resilience. It is. <laughs> That's true resilience. It's a terrifying look she gives in the mirror, though. It's very similar to Taylor... <sighs> in the Aspen trip where she's like looking down but yeah. then looking at her own reflection in the mirror and she's just like <laughs> and then Joe Benigno has to just plug it up because <laughs> he's a plumber <laughs> that's what he's good at he plugs up holes but right oh god <laughs> it's awful do we want to talk at all about the Joes ribbing Marty yes, yes. they're sort of stag do this scene is such an example of why that old adage of like, see if you're men, we don't care about the drama. We just get on, we drink, we're just guys. And it's just like, that's bullshit. Joe Gorga, to quote Joe Gorga, <laughs> is a little bitch. He's starting trouble. What is he doing? Him and Joe between them to say the day before you get married to someone. Are you sure you want to get married? I know, but they are also right. Of course they're right. But it's like... You can't. I know. There's so much planned. But she is so mad. And there's a way of saying it. Their way of saying it is like, what's the matter? You ain't getting no pussy. Yeah, I know. You're a pussy whipped. <laughs> You're a little bitch. You should be whipping her pussy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if they did it like we're genuinely concerned, that'd be one thing. But it's all just like, where are right. your balls? Exactly. Oh, hey, give me that card. Give me that card. Hey, that's Marty's little <laughs> penis. It's his little penis and he ain't got no balls because he's a pussy. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah good one guys and then of course when marty starts kicking off and joe's like hey it was a test it was we was just fucking with you it was a test you passed the test and then it immediately cuts to a talking head of joe being like that was not a test <laughs> marty's a pussy <laughs> um uh, yes it's very funny and then we just end with joe like plowing through the door into his hotel room from the swimming pool <laughs> and just like landing flat on his face in a drunken heat oh it's so oh, good this show so good can we talk about the bride squad photo shoot oh god you know what i really feel margaret's pain when she keeps being like I can't do it because my tits are going to be down at my crotch. And I really right. feel her pain because I've got massive boobs. And if someone told me I had to do a photo shoot with a load of other women in a swimming costume that didn't have an inbuilt bra, mm-hmm. <laughs> I would also freak out. <laughs> like jumping up and down, bouncing around Oh and God, stuff. it's yeah. awful. And it's just like, and I love the bit when um, Teresa's like, is it kind of cheesy or corny or something? And Danielle's like... Yeah, but there's corny and there's too corny. <laughs> and you're like, cool. There's corny and there's too corny. And this is of the corny variety. And then there's so corny that it's good. It's yeah. it's terrible. And who wants to be stood next to fucking Gillian and Christine in a bed? Like, oh kill me. Oh my God. Christine's gorgeous. There's something very, and I feel like we've all been there, where 
once you get out of those teenage years where you're trying to sort of do whatever you can to fit in with the cool crowd or like look a certain way and think that that'll make you happy and then you like grow into a mature adult and you're like I found what's what, what works for me I found the the style that works for me and the hairdo that works for me and yes. this and that to then suddenly be thrown into a situation where your attractiveness is just about how skinny you look and how good you look in a bikini it's awful. I hate it. And also it's one of those things, it's like it's like Kathy Wakili refusing to take off her sarong in the yeah. hot tub. I find it really sad and I hate that they made her do it if she was uncomfortable and I hate that she felt that way because she's gorgeous and the whole thing is, also it just looks miserable. It looks so hot. I love that they just like leave a load of the bridesmaids behind and just like start without them. <laughs> like, so clearly it doesn't matter that much. Danielle is just a horror, right. that whole trip. <laughs> absolute horror show oh it's so it makes me so stressful even i remember once i had a job where i filmed something and we had to do a photo shoot to promote it and the theme was like sexy it was very envy by melissa gorgo it was very like sexy but classy so we had to turn up in suits but then like look sexy and then suddenly they were like okay everyone strip off and everyone (laughs) was just in their underwear and they were all had amazing bodies and they were like adonises and i was like i didn't know this was happening i feel really uncomfortable doing this i don't want to take off my clothes and i wish i knew i would have done some sit-ups or something and then they were like really insistent that it has to look sexy though so i was like i had to negotiate with them and the best thing i could do is i was like i'll take off my trousers so i just like had to stand there with like my trousers around my ankles but like fully clothed up top surrounded by all these like adonises looking amazing and i was like why am i here i felt like so much in that moment sound like you're in bedroom farce or something in the middle just like exactly me being like raising my shoulders like oh It's like, it would be better off if I wasn't there. And it's the same with Margaret. It's like, Margaret doesn't want to do this. I'm sure Danielle, like, just get rid of her. Margaret's not going to care. You're about to cut her out of your life anyway. Um, I feel like that's such a relatable moment for so many people where once they have that final bust up about having the wet hair and just taking it all out on Margaret and she's like threatened to leave the island for the umpteenth time and Danielle's run after her being like, please don't leave me. And then like coaxed her back in. And Margaret's just completely there in body, but not in spirit. Yeah. And they keep coming to that shot of her in the bridal party, on the beach, holding her flowers, looking at them getting married. And there's this very sinister voiceover where Margaret's like, I don't even think this marriage is going to last. And just, I feel like we've (laughs) all been there though. Yeah. Where it's like, I'm completely, I'm seeing this through and I'm putting on a brave face, but I'm completely tapped out and I don't want anything more to do with this right now. Yeah. (sighs) So I think that's where we should end today. Sunset wedding. Where better to end? Mm, From Oklahoma to Bimini. Blood red. (laughs) It's the highest point in the Bahamas. I'll I'll see you next week to talk about glass smashing. Wine throwing. Wine throwing, pool pushing. Camel riding. Oh, thrilling. Hickama eating. (laughs) New Jersey. I can't wait. What a show. All right. Oh, it's me. (laughs) Thanks for joining us this week on the Housewives Archives. Make sure to click subscribe so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, we would really appreciate a rating, or if you'd simply tell your friends about the show, that would help us out too. Thank you for joining, and we'll see you next time. Right. Bye. (laughs) What gets fake tan off? (laughs)